Okay, so Luke chapter 16, and we're just going to quickly read that story again. So from verse 19, um, Luke 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they, will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And the title of my sermon today is Hard Truths from the Rich Man and Lazarus. Hard Truths from the Rich Man and Lazarus. Now, this is a pretty chilling story, isn't it? And um, for me, this is a really, really powerful story in the Gospels and, and one which I think many people probably would like to avoid for a few reasons. Um, but it's something that, you know, that, that gives us so many truths from that that we can cross-reference other parts of the Bible that's important to go over. Um, but there are some hard truths in here. Um, in verse 19, so from verse 19, it said, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. And my, my list of hard truths kind of go up, I think, in severity. The first one, maybe not so hard for you guys, but it is when you think about others that are unsaved. Um, and number one is that riches massively hinder salvation. Okay, riches massively hinder salvation. Now, this rich man, he's got the top clothing here. And just to give you an idea about this, this is a real extreme here because before synthetic dyes in the 1850s, purple was ultra, ultra expensive. Um, producing purple dye was a really long job. So apparently the liquid came from this Medi Mediterranean sea snail gland. Okay? Um, the shell was cracked open and then there's this purple mucus which had to expose to a precise time of sunlight as well. Um, the snail produced a single drop of the fluid. It took four million for a pound, which is basically around 500 millilitres of this dye. Okay, so basically that's why the Roman emperors wore it, why royalty throughout history wore purple. It was a sign of their wealth. And why very, very rich people only could wear it as well. Now, a pound of purple wool costs more than most people earned in a year. So by today's standards, we're talking, you know, well into the tens, 40, 50-odd grand for basically the weight of a hoodie a, or a long dress, as apparently they all wore back then. Um, but, yeah, we're talking about, about the weight of one sort of medium item of clothing would cost a year's wage, over a year's wage for, for the majority of people. That's a lot of money, isn't it? Now, the fine linen, you can understand fine linen. There's some benefit to it, isn't there? If you put on nice, nice, good quality clothes, probably feels a bit better. Um, 
But the purple, it's all for show, isn't it? No other reason other than to show your wealth. It's all about for show. And, and we could, you know, we could apply that today, to today with many things, couldn't we? Obviously, jewellery. Jewellery is solely for show, barring maybe a wedding ring, engagement ring. Um, but the sports car, you see these guys driving around the, the, the streets of London in sports cars. And you're just thinking, what on earth, <laughs> you know? And, and you ain't getting anywhere fast in London. Um, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, and, and there are many things, aren't there? Many, many things we could think about. And, and there is a line, isn't there? Because we could look and go, well, yeah, we're not wearing the purple. I don't spend a year. But what are we spending on clothing? A lot of people, it is for show, isn't it? We talked about this before, where it's a bit of a funny thing where you've somehow been persuaded to be a walking advert for a clothing manufacturer with it big emblazoned on the front of you. And you're paying good money for that as well. It's a bizarre thing. But... Um, this guy, he, he's obviously, it's for show, but he's obviously got the money. It says he fared sumptuously. Now, I always read this and just thought that he ate well, just thinking about that sort of food fare, but I, I don't think that's true, actually. It's, the faring is to be made joyful, and sumptuously is expensively, splendidly, with great magnificence. So, basically, he was a happy rich man. Now, you might think, well, of course, he's rich, but that's not always the case, is it? A lot of rich people aren't happy. This guy was a happy rich man, okay, because... Like Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, you don't have to turn there, but it says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. But he wasn't, we don't know here whether he loved, loved the money. Maybe he did, but he, he's obviously very wealthy and he's, and he's, very, he's very happy. He fared sumptuously. Um, but did that make salvation any easier for him? Did it make salvation easy for him? No way did it. Turn to Mark chapter 10. From verse 23, Mark 10:23, And Jesus looked around about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto him, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Now, in the, in the parallel passages, Matthew 19.23 says, A rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Luke 18.24 says, How hardly shall they that have riches enter? But it was Mark 10.24 which, which, which stands alone out of them, where he expands a little bit. And he says, And the disciples... Uh, it says, and disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth, answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? And the truth is, isn't it, that those that are rich, more often than not, in fact, probably 99% of the time, trust in their riches, don't they? And, and I think we, we could all, anyone here who's gone out door knocking for any length of time and has ever knocked on wealthier areas can see that, can't they? And it's a big reason why we go to poorer areas. It's not because there are some intelligent poor people. I know people try to look like oh, we're, we're praying on the poor. I remember some guy, you only go to poor areas once, once asked us like it was some sort of criticism. No, because they just, they're, they're, they don't trust in their riches. And it's a trusting in their riches, which is a problem, isn't it? Um, and notice how the disciples were astonished at his words. So they were just shocked. What? So these rich people, what you're saying, these rich people can't, 
can't go to heaven, they're not going to go to heaven. Well, no, the vast majority won't, will they? Have a look at Psalm 49. Why is it? So what is it that it's this trusting in riches? So Psalm 49, and from verse 5. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches. So they trust in riches and boast themselves and it becomes a pride problem, doesn't it? It becomes a pride problem and that's the hindrance, it's the pride. Um, keep, a, keep a finger in Psalm 46 and just turn over to, to Proverbs 16. But keep a finger in Psalm 46. Proverbs 16 from verse 18. 16, 18. Pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fool. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. That's very opposite to our world's thinking, isn't it? That it's better to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to d divide the spoil with the proud because that's something that people are constantly seeking, constantly aiming for. Um, now back to Psalm 49. Now have a look at verse 10. For he seeth that, um, sorry, for he seeth that wise men die, likewise a fool and a brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man being in honour abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. This their way is their folly, yet their posterity approve their sayings. Selah. Okay, so they die and leave their money to others, which can be a chain event. Because in verse 13 it says their posterity approve their sayings. And posterity is descendants. So basically their descendants end up agreeing with them, don't they? And then continue to trust in their riches. And then you just have this chain event of people with lots and lots of money just begetting more children with lots and lots of money. They're passing on this money. But ultimately, the vast, vast majority of them will never get saved because they end up trusting in their riches. Now, 1 Timothy 6.17, you don't have to turn there, says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So we basically need to command people, don't we? We need to command people not to trust in their riches. We need to, we need to get out there, and, and how do we do that? Through the gospel. Through the gospel. Because the gospel makes it clear, doesn't it, that the riches are not going to benefit you. The riches are not going to take you to heaven. And, and we need to get out there. We need to show these people you can't trust in your riches. Something which we're going to see, it looks like the beggar didn't do, did he? Or at least this guy didn't listen if he, if he did try to. Jude 1.23 says, And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And I think those are the people that really need to hear where they're going to end up. Those people, they need to be, it's not that they're being saved with compassion. Those people need to be saved, saved with fear. And I think... That trusting in riches is a big issue. But that's number one. It doesn't affect us necessarily so much, but it does when you think of maybe family friends. Because by m most of the world's standards, I would say everyone in this room is rich. By most of the world's standards. By the majority of the world, we are all wealthy people. And that means that all our family and friends are people that are unsaved. Those that, those that are unsaved are wealthy. They're rich. And 
sadly, a lot of them do trust in their riches, don't they? And they do, and they trust, they think that they're all right, well, their life's all right, they're just seeking money, they're trusting in their money, they're doing all right, they must be doing okay, they've got money. And that's something that, that I think when you really think about it, that can be hard, because you think, well, how are we going to get through to them? Well, obviously, it's the word of God, isn't it? To charge them that they be not high-minded, not trust in uncertain riches. But point number two, so look at verse 20, back to, back to Luke 16 and verse 20. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his swords. His sores, sorry. Now, hard truths from the rich man and Lazarus. Number one was riches massively hinder salvation. Number two, getting saved doesn't equal automatic blessings. Okay, getting saved does not equal automatic blessings. The beggar is saved, isn't he? He dies, he goes to heaven. But what a life. What a life he's, he's living at the end there. Now, he's a beggar. Okay, he's covered in sores. Or it says he's full of, full of sores or ulcers. It's not that he's just got a couple of sores. He's full of them. Full of sores or ulcers. Just in, in, in two verses here, in short verses, we just painted the picture of, of a really grim life, haven't we? He wants to be fed, basically. It says, designed to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Remember, he's at his gate. So he basically wants to be fed from the rubbish. Okay? He wants to go through his rubbish and eat whatever was discarded, the old rotten old food. Um, then look at this. It says, moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, I think in our modern world of man's best friend and how amazing they are, we're just imagining these lovely dogs just licking him and trying to comfort him. No, these are mangy old, nasty old street dogs that are basically trying to get a f free little feed from his weeping sores. Okay, that's the truth, isn't it? It's not the dogs are coming to try and comfort him. They're licking the blood and pus and whatever coming out of him. Sorry to be grim here, but that's what's going on there. Okay, the, the dogs aren't, oh, it's the pet dogs that come to just try and try and make him feel a bit happier. Like that is a grim life. And imagine where you've got to be to be at that point. He didn't say they tried to. The dogs came and licked his sores. So he's allowing these dogs to basically lick and have a little feed off his open sores. That's disgusting. And it said it, he was desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's day. We don't even know if he succeeded. He just wanted to eat the rubbish. He's laid at his gate. He wants to eat the rubbish. We don't even know if he does. Um, what sort of life is this? And many, many around, around the world, many in so-called Christianity and probably many saved people would look at him and say unsaved. They would look at him and go, that's not a saved Christian. What sort of life's that? You know, he hasn't even got the food. Didn't God promise us food? We'll look at that in a second. Um, now, maybe this guy was, you know, the version, maybe, maybe he was an alcoholic. Maybe he was a drug addict to some degree. Um, you could imagine he, he, could, he could have been. But does that mean that he was unsaved? Well, obviously not. We know he was saved. Does it mean when we look at people out in the street, they're definitely not saved because they live in the absolute depths of depravity? No. Maybe he was getting chastised. Maybe he was getting chastised. That could have been chastised. He does die in the end, doesn't he, as well? Um, but we don't want to assume that. You don't really know, do you? Maybe he's going through some hard times of tribulation. Um, and you could look at him, couldn't you? And you could think, well, what sort of a Christian was that? How did he end up like that? And, and like I said, people could look at that and just think, well... I don't know if he's saved. I don't know, you know, what's happened. He must be getting chastised. So, well, getting saved doesn't mean you're going to have an easy life, does it? It doesn't mean you're going to have an easy life. And you could get saved. You could get saved and be on the streets and get saved. Does that mean you're automatically going to come off the streets? 
Now, the world's version of Christianity, the repent of your sins, the works, you know, that, that God's going to come in and you're going to clean up your life and everything else to get saved, would say, yeah. And there are so-called people that have changed their whole lives, um, and a lot of the time that seems to be their, their version of how they're saved, doesn't it? They're talking, they don't talk about Jesus, they talk about how they cleaned up their life. And there are people probably that do get saved and change their lives as well. But it's not automatic. But either way, blessings in both this life and heaven have conditions, don't they? Don't they have conditions? So I turn to Psalm 1. But when we turn to Psalm 1, Jeremiah 17.7 says, Blessed is a man that trusteth, trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Blessed is a man that trusteth in the Lord. Not, not just blessed is a man, he has to trust in the Lord. Now you could say, well, that's talking about salvation. Maybe it is. Maybe it's after salvation. But what does Psalm 1 say? Psalm 1 says, Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But look at the beginning. Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. There are definite conditions there, aren't there? Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. When a man's ways please the Lord. Now, sounds good, all of that, doesn't it? Sounds good in Psalm 1, but there were conditions, and there were conditions that we need to, we need to meet to get those blessings from God. Okay, now here's a question. But didn't God promise to clothe and feed us? Didn't he promise that? Did he promise to clothe and feed us? But was that, was that unconditional? It's a bare minimum, isn't it, to be clothed and fed? Well, turn to Matthew 6. Let's have a look. Matthew chapter 6. And from verse 25. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Now have a look at this, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now that looks pretty conditional to me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now some might try and say that's talking about salvation. I don't think it is. I think it's talking about seeking the kingdom of God, seeking his will, seeking things of God. Then it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We should be seeking that righteousness of God and all these things shall be added unto you. There's definitely a condition. Um, turn to Psalm 37. 
because there are people that have turned around, don't they? And I'm sure some of us have done that before and turned around and shaken our fist, maybe not, not literally, but, but at least, you know, at least a picture of it. God, well, why is this happening? And why haven't I got this? And why this? And why that? Well, are we seeking the first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Are we living for him? Are, are our ways pleasing the Lord? Psalm 37 from verse 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily shalt thou be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So trust in the Lord and do good to be fed. Delight in the Lord and do good for the desires of your heart to be given you. And when you're delighting in the Lord and doing good, the desires of your heart should hopefully line up with what God's desires for you would be. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty obvious that there's conditions, aren't there? There's conditions to, to getting those blessings from God. And I'm not, I don't, we don't know, do we, about this beggar exactly what his life was? But there's a truth there, isn't there? That that how we live, how, how we live does make a difference and just because we're saved just because you're saved does not mean that you're suddenly just going to have this great nice easy life this you're going to live you know fairly comfortably yeah i might not have too many riches but yeah at least i won't i won't be poor it doesn't say that does it we need to make sure you you want to live for god you want to you want to get the blessings in life and i'm not just talking about wealth anyway here but but you want to be able to to eat and even to be clothed there are still conditions, yeah? Seek ye first kingdom of God and his righteousness. So that was number two. But now let's get on to some harder stuff. Okay, verse 22 of Luke 16. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So hard truths from the rich man Lazarus. We had riches massively hinder salvation. Getting saved doesn't equal automatic blessings. Number three, it's either instant heaven or instant hell. Okay, it's instant heaven or instant hell. When we die, we go to one of two places, heaven or hell. There is no third place called Abraham's bosom. Okay, it is absolutely ridiculous. There's no third place called Abraham's bosom. And this is what they claim, where the righteous dead await judgment day. The righteous dead await judgment day in Abraham's bosom. It's just work salvation all over, isn't it? Catholic purgatory dressed up with another, work, with another name. Okay, there is no Abraham's bosom. It is just about work salvation. There's no such thing. We either go to hell, we wake up in hell, or we wake up in heaven. Okay, this guy's a beggar full of sores, yeah, waiting to eat from rubbish. Yeah, from the rubbish. That's what he wants to do. He's wanting to eat from the rubbish. Did he have a nice death, do you think? Anyone think this guy just had a nice, pleasant death with his family around him? You know, it was pretty, you know, he, he was fine. No, this guy had a traumatic death, didn't he? I, I would imagine that he probably died of malnutrition or some issue with the sores all over him. He's carried away, straight away, isn't he, by the heavens up to, uh, sorry, by the angels up in the heaven to Abraham's bosom. Now, People look at that and think, well, that's a bit odd. Well, this guy has literally just died in trauma. He's, he, he wakes up a second later. Do you think that he's not possibly a bit traumatised at this point? I think he is. I don't think that you literally wake up in heaven and that's it. Just, hey, hey, what a beautiful morning. We still have our memory, our consciousness and everything else. I'd imagine he needed some comforting at that point just to get over what he's just been through. And... Who better to comfort him than Abraham? And just bear in mind, Lazarus does seem to come from the name Eliezer. He's 
probably a great, 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 uh, great, great, great. He's probably a great, great something grandson, isn't he, of Abraham's? Okay, and and whether or not he is, you know, ultimately, I suppose we all are through faith anyway. But he's basically his great granddad's comforting him. Is there something wrong with that? I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, verse twenty-five. Abraham says, "Now he is comforted." Okay, now he is comforted. And, and Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, the beggar is mourning, grieving, is another word for that. He's grieving, he's upset, he's just had a, had a terrible end to his life. Maybe he had a terrible life. Um, and he's basically being comforted by one of the great cloud of witnesses. Okay, is, is that a problem? These are one of the great cloud of witnesses comforting him. That doesn't, suddenly we have to start dreaming up some bizarre place where people go when they die. But it was straight to heaven, wasn't it? Straight to heaven, that's it. Angels took him straight to heaven. Um, and he was carried into Abraham's bosom. Now, and that kind of fits in, doesn't it? For example, Luke 25, 43, you don't have to turn it, but Jesus said to the thief on the cross, and Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Today. So again, they go, oh, Abraham's bosom is this place called paradise. Or No, paradise is heaven. Okay, heaven is paradise. That's heaven, not Abraham's bosom. Turn to John 14. John chapter 14. And just to help you guys out a bit for in, uh, in about half an hour's time, from verse 2. John 14, 2. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. That where I am. Where is he? And everyone, don't now sit here and start trying to memorize the, the other few verses. Okay. <laughs> you got time for that after. Right. Where I am. Where I am. Well, let's see where he is. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. And from verse 1, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. On the, on the right hand of the majesty on high, the majesty our Father which art in heaven. You know, that majesty that's clearly where he is. Um, Lazarus was carried straight to heaven, okay? Same as, same as exactly uh, as a thief uh, on the cross in Luke 23, went straight to heaven, straight to paradise, straight to heaven. And he's being comforted. Now, the rich man went straight to hell, didn't he? The rich man went straight to hell. He sees Lazarus being comforted. And it did say that, that the beggar died and was carried there, and the rich man also died. Okay. Now, he's watching him being comforted. I don't think, I'm hoping that he didn't need comforting for many, many years. But I, for me, I, I think it's pretty clear he's, woken, he's basically died and woken up a split second later in hell. Okay. He's watching Lazarus being comforted. And there is a picture of this in Numbers 16. If you turn to number 16. Number 16. And from verse 29. 
So he's talking about these guys that have rebelled. He said, if, uh, this is Moses talking, if these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up, with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation." So straight into the pit, straight down into the pit, no purgatory, no places to await judgment, straight into the pit. Purgatory is Catholic nonsense, it's got no, no basis in the Bible, in the preserved word of God at all. There's also no going to hell and then waiting a while for Jesus to come and preach to you, for you to then realise, yeah, actually I need to get saved and then go to heaven. Anyone heard any of that nonsense before? Yep. Um, okay, verse 26, he said back to Luke 16, And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Okay, it's pretty clear, isn't it? It's clear, and I think they would love to take this passage out, or instead they could just call it a parable that doesn't really have much truth in it, or whatever else is what they're basically saying. Well, no, there's also no soul sleep, is there? There's no soul sleep. Hell is immediate. And these are some good doctrines just to remind us of here. Hell is immediate. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Okay, so we're going to go from verse 11. So this is a great white throne of judgment. So, so actually, let's have a, look, have a look at it first. So Revelation chapter 20, from verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is a book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So this is after the judgment seat of Christ for believers. So we've had the millennial reign, haven't we, at this point as well. Satan's bound in hell, okay, um, during that millennial reign. He's loose to gather together basically the God-haters to battle. They all get destroyed. He's cast into the lake of fire. And then we have the great white throne of judgment begins, as far as I'm concerned, straight after. So in verse 12 there uh, of Revelation 20, it says, And I saw the dead, small and great. So this is the unsaved, yeah, that, uh, that basically are judged according to their works. They stand before God and the books were opened. I think likely the books of the Bible, isn't it? And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Okay, now look at verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. So hell is giving up the dead at this point, isn't it? So people are clearly already in hell, yeah? Okay, to be gay. And this is now over well over a thousand years, a thousand and 
three and a half, sorry, a thousand is seven years from now and well over that, okay, depending on when we think the end is going to come. So this is a long time in the future and death and hell delivered up the dead. Now, when it's talking about death here, so, so people look at this and then they're thinking, well, well, you know, what's this death? You know, so what about the sea and the death deli delivering up the dead? Well, so there's two options. One, which is basically it's instantaneous. So they've just had the battle. People have just literally been killed and then they wake up at the white, great white throne of judgment. That's number one. Um, or likely it's just referring to the bodies, the bodies of, of the souls that are in hell. Yeah, so... Um, so you've got, obviously, souls in hell, and then you've got bodies in the sea, the dead being the buried dead, okay? Or, or even if they're cremated or anything else, the bodies, however that works, seem to come together for the lake of fire, which is body and soul, isn't it? Um, okay, then hell then gets removed, doesn't it, from the centre of the earth and into the lake of fire. Now, that's to come, isn't it? But billions of people, billions of people before that day have already died and are already in hell, yeah? And, and that's clear. Death and hell delivered up the dead. Now, like the rich man in Luke 16, they wake up in torments in hell. And that is, that's a pretty hard truth, isn't it? That, that the second the majority of people in this world sadly die, they're going to wake up in torments in hell. Okay, and that, that leads us on to point four. Verse 23 of Luke 16. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented number one was riches massively hinder salvation number two is getting saved doesn't equal automatic blessings number three it's either instant heaven or instant hell number four hell is eternal torment it's eternal torment he's in torment straight away isn't he this is straight away he's looking up at, at Lazarus being comforted and he is in torments okay it's not some sort of void away from heaven okay it's not it, it's not just an immediate ending it's not, oh, well, you just go into the lake of fire and that's it. It's not separation from God. Everyone heard that one before? The liberals, oh, yeah, yeah, well, I think hell's just separation from God. No, it's eternal torments in fire. It, it sounds absolutely horrific. It looks absolutely horrific just from this short little story here. Um, in fact, it's not separation at all, is it? It's not separation from God at all. Turn to Revelation 14. Well, I read Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 8 says, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. That's speaking to God. Look at Revelation 14, and from verse 9. Revelation 14, 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. 
and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Okay, in the presence of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the Word, the Word of God, yeah? Okay, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. That's God, that's our omnipresent God. He's in hell as well, isn't he? In the presence of the Lamb. Now that doesn't fit, does it, with the good cop, bad cop version of Jesus and God of the Old Testament, does it? That doesn't fit with that. That Jesus is there watching basically billions of people he's there it's in his presence that they're being tormented they're being punished for everything they ever did and ultimately for rejecting him as well um it said in verse verse uh verse 11 there where we were in revelation 14 said and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever and they have no rest day nor night Forever and ever, no rest day nor night. That is absolutely horrific, isn't it? Absolutely horrific. That 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 is that is where people are going, and they're still willfully rejecting such an easy salvation. Okay, absolutely terrible. Hell is torment. It's clearly torment. The smoke is is going up. They 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 have no rest day or night. They're in torments. So the rich man said, he said. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. Mercy, he just wanted a, a drop of water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. And this, this is where people are going, isn't it? He's begging for just a drop of water. He's tormented, tormented in the flame. And that's for, for eternity. Now, I think we often probably put mental blocks on this. We probably often put mental blocks on hell. We probably don't really like to talk about it too often to this, to, to this extent because that is a hard truth, isn't it? That's a hard truth. When we think about our unsaved family and friends, think about unsaved people throughout the world, that that's where the vast majority of them are going. Um, now, what happens though, now that's a truth that needs preaching, doesn't it? That's a truth that we need to be aware of and that's a truth that should spur us on, shouldn't it? to go and get people saved. And be, they, instead, what the, what the liberal Christian will do is try and water it down. We'll try and find a way out of it. We'll try and line it up with what they believe. Um, because it doesn't fit with their version of God or what they're trying to say is their version of God. They're all tolerant, just you can do whatever you like type thing. Well, Matthew 13.50 says, And shall cast them into the furnace of fire, there shall be wailing, and gnashing of teeth. There is wailing and gnashing of teeth in hell. That's not because you're just not around God anymore. That's not because it's just some sort of void where you're just kind of, you know, lingering in, in sort, of, sort of soul just in between for the rest of your life. Wailing, gnashing of teeth, smoke of their torment, no rest, day nor night. That is where people are going. That's what we deserve. By God's standards, that's what every single person in this room deserves. But there is a way out, isn't there? There's a way out. And praise God, he gave us a way out. But we have to tell them, don't we? We have to tell them about the way out. We have to tell them they don't have to go there. But we have to tell them where they're headed, where they're going. And that leads us on to the next one. From verse 27 in Luke 16. 
And he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So number one was riches massively hinder salvation. Number two was getting saved doesn't equal automatic blessings. Number three was it's either instant heaven or instant hell. Number four was hell, hell is eternal torment. And number five is if the word of God doesn't save, nothing will. If the word of God doesn't save, nothing will. So his next request is to save his brothers. So it's hardly the biker gang hangout, is it? I had someone the other day say, well, you know, I, 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 you know I'm, no, I'm going to hell. I want to see, you know, I want to see my mates or whatever it was. I want to see somebody just die. No way. This, does, he, does he want his friends? Does he want his brothers there? Does he want his brothers hanging out with him there? No. And it's kind of, for me, it clearly shows, by the way, in case anyone thinks, you know, tries to appease themselves, or maybe it's only for reprobates. Maybe, it's only, maybe there's a way out. Maybe it's only for the absolute wicked. Well, this guy clearly cares about his brothers, doesn't he? He clearly cares about other people other than himself because he doesn't want them there. He doesn't want them there keeping him company in the burning fires of hell, in the torment of hell. Um, so he cares about them. And in verse 28, it said, he talks about it being this place of torment. Verse 29, Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. They have the word of God, let them hear it, is what he's saying, isn't he? They have the word of God. Now, I've heard this used to say that you hear the prophets when, when reading the Bible. Anyone heard that before? Anyone heard that? No? So I've heard this preach where they said, look, they use this example and said, let them hear them. See, when you read the Bible, you're hearing preaching. Okay, but that's not what it's saying here. Okay, if you turn to Romans 10, just to make that clear, and I don't think anyone here is probably in doubt of this, but Romans 10 says from verse 14 how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah saith Lord, who hath believed our report? So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Verse 14, how shall they hear without a preacher? It's not saying, well, you know, how should they hear? Well, they can hear the word of God because they have the word of God. How should they hear without a preacher? That's someone preaching it. And, and verse 15, how should they preach except they be sent? It's not how did they preach. It's not how did they preach except they were sent. Yet... It says, and how shall they preach except they be sent? Okay, that we're being sent out to preach the gospel. It wasn't something that's already done and now they just have to read the Bible, read a tract or something else. And Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear, let, sorry, let them hear them. Okay, Moses and the prophets were still being preached, by the way. Moses and the prophets were still be, being preached. John the Baptist came and preached that they should believe on him that should come after him, didn't he? But before that, there were still saved people around. I think we could sometimes read the New Testament and just assume there was not one saved person and that everyone was just, just it was all gone. Well, 
We'll have a look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Verse 30, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And verse 32, a light to lighten the Gentiles. Obviously, the Gentiles weren't plan B. Now jump forward to verse 36. And there was, there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asa. She was of great age and had lived with an husband seven, seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So there were people looking for redemption in Jerusalem. And, and that's plural. And that came from Moses and the prophets, didn't it? It came from the scriptures. It came from the word of God. Scriptures such as Isaiah 53. Scriptures such as Psalm 16.10, which said, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Foretelling of Jesus Christ. Uh, which is a good reminder, by the way, of what Jesus Christ did for us, isn't it? A good reminder of where Jesus Christ went. And we don't need to try and somehow argue that away. He didn't actually go to hell. Jesus Christ went to hell. He went and, and spent three days and nights in the torments of hell. What an amazing thing that he did for us, so we wouldn't have to go there. But there were people, there were people saved. There was, you did get saved still by having Moses and the prophets preach to you salvation. And verse 30, yes, it wasn't as clear, but, but it was still from the word of God. Verse 30, and he said, sorry, Luke 16, he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Jesus Christ went unto many from the dead, didn't he? He was seen of above 500 brethren at once. And whether or not any unbelievers saw him or not, which I'm, maybe they did or didn't, there, there were 500 brethren in an area that saw him. Did everyone repent? Did everyone in that area repent? No. He went unto them, they didn't. He said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So people rejected the word of God. They rejected Jesus Christ's resurrection. But it's the same with all signs, proofs and evidences. I, I think it's the same. The signs and proofs were them to, to, to vouch for the word of God coming from the apostles in, in the book of Acts. But, but if people are rejecting the word of God, it's not that, oh, well, you know, people say, well, if I saw him. If I saw Jesus, well, then I would believe. But they wouldn't, would they? They still wouldn't. If they're rejecting the word of God, the power of the word of God, they will still reject, even if Jesus Christ was there in front of them. And that's the truth. Turn to Romans chapter 1.
and from verse 19 to 20, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The creation is evidence of the creator, isn't it? Even his eternal power and Godhead. Okay? They're, that's the evidence. That's the evidence. Now, many people, will, well, if only I saw this. There is, the evidence is here. The evidence is in front of you at, with each other. The evidence is outside in the world. The evidence is in every tree you walk past and ev everything in the world is evidence of, of the creator. But we could fall into this way of thinking, I think, a bit too. We could get a bit pulled into this. Well, once, if only I could prove creation to that stubborn family member or to that person, that atheist on the door. If I could just prove creation to them, then they might get saved. Or maybe if I could prove the change in my life, maybe if I prove myself, then, then they might get saved. Or maybe if I could prove the historical evidence for Jesus. I fell into that, I remember early on from being saved, trying to prove that Jesus existed, prove Josephus and Tacitus, and try and prove these things. Well, if they hear not this Bible, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. Do you think you're going to persuade them with some of your, your logic? Not at all. Now, on that, that doesn't mean that, that, doesn't mean that, that there's anything wrong with, for example, for, with, there are things which will help maybe the word of God. For example, wives with unsaved husbands, when they behold their chaste conversation coupled with fear, yeah, they might then in the day of visitation. Well, okay, so there is, there is our behaviour can help, can't it? Obviously being a shining light, not having our light hid under a bushel. Um, 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. But what's the reason? What's the reason? It's the word of God. That's the reason. The reason why, why we have the hope is because of what the word of God says. It's not because of your own logic. It's not because of your own, you know, proofs of creation or whatever else it is. Now, they could be some fun conversations. Don't get me wrong with the unsaved. It's sometimes fun bamboozling them, isn't it, with, with how ridiculous evolution theory is. But you're not getting them saved with that. You're getting them saved with the word of God. That's what gets them saved. But it doesn't mean as well it doesn't mean if you give the word of god to someone or you try and they don't want to hear it or they refuse it remember it doesn't mean they're automatically reprobates okay just remember that people aren't automatically reprobates because they won't hear the word of god or because they've rejected the word of god jesus brothers didn't believe in him did they in, in john 7 but they're at the feast in in acts 1 aren't they okay so some point in between and they had jesus christ they had a lot of words of god didn't they they had a lot of words of god to reject to not listen to, but they did eventually get saved. Um, okay, so why don't they hear? Obviously, there are those by the wayside, aren't there? We talked about that, I think, was it last week, the week before? We talked about those by the wayside. Um, there are those where, where the devil snatches it out of their heart. But there are those that don't listen in the first place, aren't there? There are those that don't listen in the first place. Turn to John 3. John chapter 3 and verse 19. 
And this is a condemnation that light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Okay, they, they don't want to acknowledge God and therefore sin, do they? And that's it. And, and it's not all the time that. That's one of many reasons, you see. But that, that's one we see a lot of, don't we? People don't want to acknowledge God because then they've got to acknowledge their sin. And then they've got to acknowledge that God judges sin. And they've got to acknowledge that God is watching them. And they basically, they don't want that spotlight on them, do they? And, and like, like the rats in the closet, when the light goes on, they scuttle off, don't they? And sadly, that's what a lot of people do. They, they, the light, the gospel comes out and they all sometimes, when you start trying to leave a verse with someone, they're like covering their ears almost, just shutting the door quickly in your face. You know, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear the word of God. When, when they see a Bible, you see the eyes narrow. They don't want to hear the word of God. Um, then add money to that. And it gets even harder, doesn't it? How hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? But it's hard, but he didn't say it was impossible, did he? Let's not give up on them. Mark 10, 27, he said, And Jesus looking upon them said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. And where does that come from? The word of God. It's the word of God that saves. And we've got to, you know, we, we look at these passages and that should just spur us on. But it shouldn't make us look at it and go, oh, what a rich man, well, he's done. You know, that should make us look at, it, look at it and think, look, these people, they still need the gospel. They still need to get saved. And it's something, again, building up to us moving church buildings and knocking not just what we consider poorer receptive areas. Okay, we're going to knock everywhere. We're going we're gonna to make sure that we make a difference to our local area and we're going to come across some rich people. Okay. I don't, you know, it depends where we end up with a church building. Obviously, some areas might be, might be richer than others. There might be a bit of purple, purple linen going on. Um, but we still need to give, give, give them a chance, don't we? we st because, because just because they're rich, it doesn't mean that we want to see them in hell. Yeah? We don't, do we? Um, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think the beggar ever tried to save that rich man? I think probably not. Um, maybe he didn't get the chance. But he wasn't a stranger to him, was he? Because the rich man knew his name, said, send Lazarus. I don't know if there's maybe you, you understand more when you're in hell. Maybe not. He didn't say send him. So he, so he knew he was. And if, that, if Lazarus didn't try, if Lazarus hadn't tried to save him and never even attempted, imagine his feeling. Imagine his feeling when he was next to Abraham getting called to, saying, please just go to my brethren you know, and he's in torments, and he knows that maybe he had that opportunity to get him saved. And imagine our feeling when we're up there, when we're in heaven, and we know that there are family members, there are friends, there are people that we've crossed paths with, people that in our lives that we just didn't even bother. Or maybe we didn't bother, maybe we were too scared, too worried about getting mocked, too worried about them, maybe they'll, they'll reject, or them thinking you're a weirdo, they're thinking that you're, you're just, you know, one of those Christian type. Well, if they really want, you know, well, maybe we'll just lean towards Calvinism. Well, if they really want to get saved, then they'll, they'll come to me and ask. Waiting for that perfect, that perfect conversation moment when they ask you about church. No, just ask them. Ask them, do they want to get saved? And imagine how we're going to feel. Imagine how that, that beggar felt. Maybe that's one of the reasons he needed more comforting as well. Maybe seeing this rich man in there, maybe seeing other people that he didn't even bother with. He didn't bother, he didn't try, 
couldn't be bothered to try and learn how to give the gospel. No, that's for other people. Oh, that's for the people with the gift of the gab or something else. No, that's for someone else. It's not, is it? It's for every single one of us. Every single one of us has loved ones, has people in our lives that are going to hell, that are going to torment, that are going to burn forever and ever in hell with the smoke rising up off them. Every one of us. And sadly, and this should spur us on, and it's, it's sad, isn't it? Because I hate, I think about loved ones that have already died, and I, I know, I can try and tell myself maybe they were saved at the end, maybe something, maybe, maybe you know, just I wasn't aware. But the truth is, the truth is they're right now burning in torments in hell. And it's a horrible thing to think about. But what that should do, because it's not all roses, is it? It's not a pick and mix, a Bible. What that should do is spur us on. Right, then we don't want other people to go there. That's what it should do. Shouldn't make us just give up. Shouldn't make us just oh, be angry. No, that's the truth. That's, that's God. That's what happens, okay? That's it. And, and what a loving God that he went through that for us. And he did that for us. And he preserved this word which tells us exactly what we need to do to get saved. And he, and he gave us the ability to go and get people saved with this word of God. Yet, then we don't bother. Then we don't do it. Then it's just my box tick on a Sunday or whenever it is. Or maybe I don't even do that. Or maybe it's just, well, you know, it's not really that time right now. Or... or no, we need to get out of there. We need to get people saved and people in our lives especially that we know and we're across, get them saved, yeah? Get them saved. At least give them the option. At least know that you tried, yeah? Um, and let's make sure we don't have them people in our lives like, like the beggar Lazarus did with the rich man. In. On that, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word and uh, help us to deal with these, these hard truths. Help us to deal with with the reality of hell, um, comfort us. A lot of us need need the comfort right now, knowing knowing the truth about this with people that we love and care for. Um, and we pray that that you'll just help us to to use this as a, to spur us on, spur everyone on in here to go out and and just get people saved, to want to get people saved, to care about them, to care about the five brethren, so they don't come into this place of torment. And, and help us to just have that on our mind, on our hearts. Yeah, it's, you know, we, we, it's great that we can receive rewards. It's great that you'll bless us in our lives. But, but let us get that charity right for others and, and get that, that. That should be our ultimate goal is to, to pull people out of the fire. Help us to, to have that on our minds and on our hearts as we go, go on from not just this afternoon, but into next week and onwards to just go out and get people safe, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.